Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. Qué golazo de Bellerín, gol del Arsenal. Gran gol de Bellerín, 1-0. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. The Arscast Extra today brought to you in association with Audible.com. You can get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook download by going to audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. We'll give you more details on that later on. So, um, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? I, I'm, I'm also all right. You know, nothing spectacular one way or the other. Middle of the road. Yes, a little bit middle of the road. But mm. hey, there you go. Safe place to be. You're not going to veer off it. No, true, true. But you could hit that thing that's in the middle of the road. Yeah, they're separating the lanes or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. don't know a lot about roads. You might remember hearing about my driving test, what happened with that. So this is, this is a sore subject for me. You, you failed it, right? I failed it for speeding. Yeah. <laughs> you were speeding, uh, like, how, how fast were you going? Uh, quite fast, quite fast. If anything, I think that demonstrates confidence uh, <laughs> and should be rewarded. But uh, alas, I have I have subsequently passed it after really charming the instructor. I basically found out he was a musician and sort of talked to him about that for quite a long time. And I don't think he really paid attention to what I was doing. By the end, he was sort of giving me tips. But... <laughs> It's still an area where, you know, I have difficulties. Failing for speeding, I think, is, pr- is pretty impressive. Particularly in front of a, a, a kindergarten, you know. Exactly, yeah. Well, what can I say? That kid looked at me funny. I, I had no choice. Yeah, well, he was asking for it. Fair enough. OK, well, look, will we, um, will we discuss football? Yeah, why not? I suppose we should. We should, shouldn't we? Um, disappointing result last night against Swansea. Um <sighs> It, it feels quite familiar. You know, we've been here before where we've dominated a game in terms of chances and shots on goal and then conceded to the first one, uh, which was very much the case. Um, Swansea's first attempt on target, well, their first shot of the second half was in the 87th minute and in it went, so we didn't have much time to recover. We normally, in fairness, uh, concede a bit earlier than that, giving ourselves more time to build up a momentum, a crescendo, where, you know, a lot of the time we have sort of got a a late equaliser, but it wasn't to be. Mm, No, it wasn't. I mean, did you see it coming? Did you think, oh, there's a chance we'll get caught here? I guess you always have that in the back of your mind, but on the balance of the game, I didn't really, particularly the second half, because Swansea had been pushed back I mean, we were camped in their half for the majority of of the second half. Um, Mm. You know, I I guess there's always a danger when you're pushing and really pushing for a goal that you might get caught on the break. But it wasn't even the the classic counter-attack or anything like that. So um, I I was a little bit surprised by it. But at the same time, uh, as I said on the blog, there's a familiarity to it that makes you go, oh, yeah, this... This thing again. Are Swansea a bit of a bogey team for us, or is that just my imagination? I feel like they always give us real trouble. Well, yeah, they have. I mean, they beat us earlier in the season. Last season, they... um, Well, they've beaten us twice now this season. Last season, there was a game where... Was it Flamini scored an own goal in the last last minute? He kind of bundled it in off his own shin after we'd gone ahead, and that was a 2-2 draw. I mean, I think we've, we've beaten them a few times at their place, but, you know, I, I think people went into this game expecting uh, Swansea to kind of be on their holidays, and that was never going to be the case because they still have something to play for. They've got uh, European football on the on the horizon. They could qualify for the Europa League. And mm. and I think, uh, you know, they've got a young manager who is determined to uh, to show that he can mix it in, in the Premier League, and he's done that um, against Manchester United. They beat United twice this season. They've beaten Arsene Wenger twice this season. And, you know, they they, uh, they had a very obvious game plan from the start. I think they executed it pretty well in, in the sense that not too many of the chances we had were what you call clear-cut. But at the same time, you know, they... Uh, yeah, fuck, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a disappointing, a disappointing result. But I think it, it has more to do with us than it has to do with Swansea, 
Right. If that makes sense. In what respect, where do you think we fell down as, a, as opposed to how well we've done in recent weeks? I think basically it was the finishing, to be honest. Um, the There was a real lack of conviction, wasn't there, in some of the shooting, um, the positions that we got ourselves into, even that free kick in the first half with, with Mesut Ozil. Um, you know, he hit Mertesacker rather than curling it around the wall and into the net like he was supposed to. Yeah, the, uh, the one that sticks out, <clears throat> I think you mentioned in your blog, was the Alexis Sanchez-Theo Walcott double chance, as it were. Yeah. Uh, great pass from Ramsey. Alexis took it down inside the penalty area. You, you put your house on him to score, really. But once he missed, it came back to Walcott and you thought, I think redemption would be a bit of a strong word, but you thought this was a real chance for Walcott to kind of make his mark. You know, he... Arsenal had talked him up all week, the golden period for a striker. He's just entering it. And yet he really didn't deliver, did he? I mean, it's a very, very tame finish on the rebound. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, having looked at it again, I think probably Alexis's miss is worse. Right. Because he only has Fabianski to beat. But Andrew, what about the narrative? <laughs> Alexis is brilliant and Walcott's rubbish. What are you talking about? Well, you know... Um, Alexis at least has got the uh, the backup of 20, 24 goals this season yeah. uh, to the point where you can sort of say, you know, okay, well, we can forgive him one or two. Whereas Walker, as you make the point, he's he's coming back into the team um, looking to make an impact or being asked by the manager to make an impact. And, you know, he really didn't. Mm. Um, but of the two chances... I, I think uh, the Alexis one was the easiest because all he had to do was just tuck the ball in at the near post. Um, you know, we, we, a finish we've seen from him quite a few times this season where he goes near post. Um, there was all the space in the world there. Instead, he hit it straight at Fabianski. The ball came out. Uh, and I think Walcott sort of had two players charging in on him, which isn't to say that Walcott's effort wasn't anything other than tame, like you say, but I do think it was probably a little more uh, a little more difficult than, than the one Alexis missed. And it's disappointing because, you know, in a tight game like that, um, you know, that, that that's really the difference. You know, I know a lot of people sort of said we got it tactically wrong last night and, and what have you. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, I think we, we're just looking at really fine margins between three points and no points um you know had that goal gone in we would have been we would have been talking about how you know we 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 basically uh, battered them into submission in that second half with the amount of shots we had with the amount of possession we had where that possession was how long we spent camped in their half we would have been you know giving huge credit to the team for breaking down a very stubborn resistance so ultimately i think the failure is more individual than than any sort of collective issue with tactics. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, what about the team selection? We saw the same 11 named for the fifth consecutive game, first time since 1994. Do you think there's any argument that in doing that, you Swansea knew exactly what they were going to get? You know, they were able to prepare a plan based very specifically on the team that we would put out. Do you mm. think there's any kind of negative impact to that? Do you think rotation helps spring a surprise here and there? Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this, didn't we, the other week, the, the need to try and find balance between a team that's functioning very well, is confident, full of belief, and one that perhaps lets their standards slip, even by 1% or 2%. Mm. Not consciously, but subconsciously, a little complacent perhaps. You know, you saw with the first half performance that there wasn't a great deal of urgency, and that can happen with first halves. But, you know, you'd you would uh, you'd like to think that perhaps, um, you know, those players could have done a bit more in that first half to make life more difficult for Swansea. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that is a difficult choice because had he changed it, People will be saying, "Well, why are you changing a winning side?" True. Um, and if you if you don't change it immediately, the question becomes, "Why haven't you changed it?" Because we need a bit more a bit more rotation. But again, it was it was interesting, wasn't it? That he brought Wilshire on to the right hand side of midfield, put Walcott on as a central striker. You know, I'm not quite sure that worked. I mean, do you think, for example, if he'd had Danny Welbeck on the bench last night, he would have brought on Welbeck ahead of Walcott? I think so, and I actually think that it was a—it's a bit of an issue for us that that Welbeck's not available at the moment because for all the talk about Theo being a striker, I'm not convinced that he's a great option in that centre forward role. 
I know Welbeck's not been prolific of late, but he does at least know the position. And we've got three... Well, we've got Podolsky, Campbell, Sonogo and Akpom all mm. away from the club at present. I so think we- Akpom is back. Oh, is he actually back? I think so, because the, the season's over, isn't it, in the Championship? Of course it is. It'd be weird if he was hanging around Nottingham. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I do think we, we lack a, a sort of a recognised striker option at present. And I'm not sure about this Walcott thing. I mean, he's such a different player to Giroud. It feels like you're asking quite a lot of the team to suddenly adapt to... to, to all right, Mr. Popular. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, it, it feels like you're asking quite a lot to uh, to ask the team to adapt to a completely different kind of striker in that way. Well, wasn't it weird as well that when Walcott came on, we immediately seemed to get beyond the fullbacks? Crossing the ball. Crossing yeah. the ball, and we had literally nobody to cross it to. Very strange, that. I mean, what's really odd is that we've got almost a fully fit squad at our disposal, and yet when you looked at the substitutes bench, this might seem an odd thing to say, but I wasn't necessarily convinced there was anyone there who I trusted to change the pattern of the play or offer something different, you know? Could could I suggest that perhaps um, a, a Rosicki-type player... Or an Oxley Chamberlain yeah. uh, in, in that kind of a game could be really valuable because, you know, when a team sits deep against you uh, and you're finding it hard to break them down, you're passing the ball across the pitch looking for space, that sometimes you need the guy who will take the risk and try and burst between the lines a little bit. And that's a Rosicki trait. That's an Oxley Chamberlain trait. And again, you know, when we come back to the substitutions, um, regardless of, of how you want to um, dress them up, what we did was bring on two players and played them out of position, mm. which is odd. It is odd. It is odd. Especially when, as I say, the squad is near full fitness. I think the two guys you mentioned would have been very helpful because they can both change the tempo of a match. You know, they've both got that that half yard to go past somebody, that desire to run with the ball, and that can open up an opportunity and, and, you know, change the dynamic of the match. Mm. So, yeah, that that was a bit frustrating. What did you make of the decision to bring Giroud off? I mean, he'd had a, a bit of a kicking in the first half. Do you think that was a factor in that decision? Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, I guess we don't know. I mean, that's the sort of information we don't know. If a player is struggling a little bit with an injury and uh, he seemed to really feel that when he got in the back um, mm. in, in the first half. So maybe that was part of it, you know. But I think I, I just find it a bit odd that when you're looking for a goal, you take off a guy who gives you you know, so many options in terms of a goal, both from an aerial perspective, he's good in the air, uh, he's a decent poacher, he can bring others into play. You know, maybe the idea would be to give him a little bit more support or bring on Walcott on the right-hand side, even put Walcott up with him a little bit. You know, you could do that because of the way that uh, that Swansea were playing. They weren't particularly expansive, so you could certainly uh, have have uh, have increased the options around him. He's our second-highest scorer. Um, his form has suffered a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, no you goal know. in five for Giroud, actually. I think it is his last five appearances. Anything to that, or just... Well, I mean, I think that happens. You know, Alexis went a period, didn't he, when he didn't score in in mm. 10 or eight or nine games. You know, it, it happens. Um, but like you say, the issue is that we don't have... We don't have the... Um, we don't have the backup available when Welbeck is out injured. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a little bit strange, I have to say, to take him off. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have... If, assuming he was fine physically, I definitely would have left him off. You know, particularly when it's late in a game and the, the momentum builds and you're looking to get players wide, you're looking to get your fullbacks wide, get some crosses in, you know, that's kind of where he thrives a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I found that decision a little bit odd, but maybe there was more to it than than we know. And what about the Swansea goal? I mean, you could have predicted the source. So Jefferson Montero, he terrorised us in the, the first game at Liberty Stadium, I think. Yeah. Was it him who put the cross in? It was. And then uh, Gomi Scott above Monreal, just as he did at Liberty Stadium as well. So, yeah, should have seen it coming, to be mm. honest. Yeah, I mean, well, I thought that was a bit unfortunate because I thought Monreal played really well. I thought he, yeah. was, um, I thought he was one of our most uh, aggressive uh, and most determined players last night certainly was trying to win the ball back high up the pitch to 
to to move us forward. Um, you know, you might ask why one of the central defenders wasn't looking after Gomez. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the cross it happens. I think w- what we saw was a little bit of an experience from Hector Bellerin, the same way that we saw an experience from Callum Chambers, a learning curve for them, um, for both of them. You know, and I think it shows that perhaps pace isn't the only issue that young defenders have. Uh, when they're playing a tricky player like uh, like Montero. I mean, he did get a few crosses in. We dealt with most of them. That one was, um, yeah, it, was, it, it felt a bit inevitable. And I'm not 100% sure that David Ospina covered himself in glory with the save. What did you make of his uh, his attempt to keep the ball out? Well, what I thought watching it live, first of all, watching it live, I had no idea that ball had gone in. Um, quite a great example of goal line technology because I would never have called that in a million years Yeah, and I'm not sure the officials would have done either but uh, I think it's the sort of thing where I feel like if Chesney had done it he would have taken absolute pelters for it Yeah, but it just so happens that at present Espina's kind of the man in favour the man in possession of the shirt and is a little bit more protected from that kind of criticism I thought he should have done better to be honest Yeah, Uh, it was a good header powerful header downward header but having got there he should be keeping that out. Yeah. Is it, is it to do with just his arms are too short? I mean, is that could it not be something as fundamental as that, that he is, he's five foot 11, six foot at most, and that he just doesn't have the reach, that a taller goalkeeper would have had the fingertips on that a little bit sooner? Was there something, any anything in his technique that you didn't... I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not a goalkeeper. I know that Bob Wilson, who obviously great Arsenal keeper and goalkeeping coach for a long time has talked about the need for a, you know a six foot plus goalkeeper in the modern era and Spina is certainly not that is it no he's um, never going I to be like, that well <laughs> barring a miracle or some kind of corrective surgery I mean I I lost an inch in height in my adult years for strategic <laughs> reasons but uh the chance of him gaining one or two or five as we'd like are slim. It's difficult because he hasn't done a lot wrong, has he, in his time in goal? No, but, you know, I have to say I remain somewhat unconvinced. Mm. You know, that's not to say he's not a good goalkeeper. I think he is a good goalkeeper. I just don't think he's a very good goalkeeper. Um, and and maybe that's uh, maybe that's where our, our, uh, our sight should be, you know? Um, you know, I... We haven't lost many points this season due to our goalkeepers, either Chesney or Ospina. Uh, really, you know, Chesney at Southampton. But apart from that, there weren't like many huge individual mistakes from, from either goalkeeper. So I'm not sure it's it's quite as big an issue as some people would say. But I, I just don't find myself convinced by him or that uh, the run that we're we're on at this moment, or were on rather, that that. 10-game undefeated run had a huge amount to do with Ospina more than it did uh, the team being more cohesive and attacking, if that, if you get yeah. me. Yeah, and the back four, of yeah. course. You know, yeah. the back four coming together as they have with Montreal and Bellerin in there. It's really difficult to work out to what degree it's it's down to Ospina or not. I, I agree with you in that I'm not quite convinced by him and I think it's definitely a position where we could upgrade in the summer. As for last night, I think he'll be disappointed. But having performed relatively well, I don't think his place is under any immediate threat. I should say that. I don't think there's any chance of Chesney, you know, coming back in at Old Trafford. No, that would be that would be a big surprise, I have yeah. to say. But uh, who knows? Who knows? The manager is uh, capable of surprises from, from time to time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it would depend on how culpable he sees uh, you know, the goalkeeper for, for that one, but he'll be watching the tapes, I'm sure. Um, so look, overall, uh, a disappointing result. Um, you know, is it one of those that we can put down to just one of those nights that that happens? Or is it, you know, does does it go back to fundamental flaws that we've, uh, we've failed to work out of our game? You know, uh, how do you put this in context of the last couple of months? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because along, along that good run that we've had, We've had a couple of close shaves, you know. I, I remember at, at Crystal Palace and QPR, you know, some some nervy late moments. And to some extent, are you sort of just due a result like that? Is that just something that eventually is going to happen? You oh, know? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, we, how many games unbeaten were we? Ten, was it? I think. Yeah, ten. Nine wins. You know, and people will say these are the games that you have to win if you want to be title contenders, if you want to be taken seriously as, uh, you know, as, as somebody who can really compete for, for the championship. Is that a fair comment? Or, you know, do you have to accept that along the way you're going to have nights where things don't go right? I think you do have to accept that. I think even the best teams have occasional slip-ups. Uh, and I do kind of feel like it was one of those things. We we weren't quite at our level. We were punished very, very harshly for that. But I I don't read too much into it. My only level of concern is just that it shows you what can happen in any one game. And I suppose with a cup final on the horizon, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a bit of a reality check. Yeah, I mean, do you think that um, Tim Sherwood will, will have been looking at that last night thinking, well, I mean, Tim Sherwood will obviously... I don't have to be thinking much at all. No, I mean, clearly, as as one of the best managers of all time, he will know already (laughs) how he wants his team to play. But, I mean, would that not be something of a blueprint for him to look at ahead of the FA Cup final, that his team, if he gets them organised, gets them disciplined, denies us space in midfield, forces us narrow, you know, is that not the way to play against us? Because it uh, it is something that we have struggled with throughout this season and, and in previous seasons. Yeah, I mean, like, like Swansea, they've got a lot of pace on the flanks. They've got a very powerful, slightly frightening centre-forward. I think Penteke in this kind of form can do an awful lot of damage. Mm. The one thing that you have to hope is that Sherwood always says he, he sends his teams out to play attacking football. He's almost Harry Redknapp-esque in that respect. And you have to hope that will get the better of him because I think if he tries to go toe-to-toe with Arsenal, he'll come a cropper if he employs a more strategic approach as Swansea did last night cut their cloth accordingly then there'll be much more of a worry so uh, yeah let's hope tactics Tim doesn't doesn't delve too deeply into the tactics all right all right okay um what we'll do right now is take a short break we'll come back with some of your questions in part two Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, brought to you this week in association with Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial uh, by going to audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. That's audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. They have over 180,000 audiobooks and things that you can listen to there, so the choice is, is splendiferous, really. Um, so anything anything you might want, go to audibletrial.com forward slash arsecast, sign up for your free trial, download your free audiobook, and it helps us buy sandwiches. <laughs> Delicious sandwiches. Mm-mm. Right. Time for questions? some questions. Yeah, I, I'm going to let you go first, seeing as I'm, I'm a gentleman. Very generous of you. Good, sir. Um, okay, let's have a little scroll through. through, through. I've lost the ability to speak at the optimum time. Uh, this question comes from Steve Moore. Steve Moore, 4116. He asks, if fit, would you play the Welbeck back at Old Trafford card once again at the weekend in place of Giroud? Yeah, I'd be tempted, actually, because we touched on Giroud's form being a little bit indifferent. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, just a game on the bench wouldn't hurt too much. Welbeck, obviously would be fired up for this particular game. Um, does give us something a little bit different in the centre-forward position, a bit more pace. Um, so, yeah, why not? Why not try something Try something a little bit different? But he's got to be 100% fit. We don't want to stick a, an 80% fit well back on just for the sake of it. So, um, yeah. Just it, to it, spook them. Yeah, just, you know, they'd be going, oh, no, this guy again. Where do we know him from? Oh, yeah. I think be more that guy than this guy. Come on, Andrew. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> I missed that one. Um, yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, I think if a player goes five games without a goal, you're in a position where you go, well, eventually he's going to score. Sooner or later he's going to get a goal. But maybe, maybe he just needs a little breather. Um, are there signs of Giroud looking a little bit tired, a little bit a little mm. bit leggy, you know, where, where similar to perhaps last season? when he played a lot of games and he has played a lot of football since he's come back from injury. So maybe there's just an element of fatigue there with him. So, um, yeah, why not? If he's fit, give him a bash, I say. I think that there is an element of fatigue with Giroud. And I think, 
You know, he's in some very physical battles of late. He was up against three centre-halves at Hull. It was two at Swansea, but Jack Court kept dropping in. It was effectively a three at times. Narrow full-backs, and I do think he's just a bit tired. However, I do. I am tempted to say, if he's fit, play him. And I might like to see Welbeck on the right-hand side at Old Trafford. I know Aaron Ramsey's been doing a good job there, but I just wonder if this is a game where maybe someone with a bit more pace on that on that wide, you know, on the flank, mm. might might work to our benefit. I don't so know. So would that mean Ramsey on the bench or Cazorla on the bench? Well, that's then the really difficult decision and the one that I, I don't think I could make. I just don't think Santi Cazorla's droppable at present, but that's where it gets tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is you tough. Know, s- squeezing in all those midfielders. Um, so, mm. yeah, don't know. I, I, I genuinely can't answer that question. I mean, I, I can't find a reason to drop Santi Cazorla, given how excellent he's been and how important he's been to our form. But you'd imagine that Ramsey's stamina and physicality would be helpful. So yeah. maybe I'm talking bollocks. It wouldn't be the first time, but, you no. know, you, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a difficult one because... Yeah, I mean, there are issues, aren't there, when Ramsey plays on the right-hand side that we do become a bit narrow because his natural tendency is to drift infield. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think he probably has to, he has to change it a little bit. But I think he'll also be mindful of the fact that when he's got to kind of grind, not grind out a result, but when you're playing a big team, same way as uh, when we play Chelsea, that he might feel... That formation, that setup with Ramsey on the right, provides the team with the best way of uh, of getting that balance. You know, is Ashley mm. Young playing down the left hand side? He is. Yeah. yeah, you know, so that that's the uh, he's been quite dangerous. I know. Um, I thought we'd ever be saying that, talking about him as a threat. Well, exactly. You know, these these things happen with players, and and he's clearly over the bird poo trauma. Um, <laughs> So so maybe that's something he's got to be mindful of as well. Is Ramsey the best man to uh, to take on or to, to shackle Young down that side? I don't know. It's a difficult one. Difficult Possibly. one. Possibly. It is interesting because obviously, as we say, he's kept faith with that 11 uh, for a long time now. Mm. My, my feeling would be that if, if Welbeck is fit and available, that we would be better using him as a striker than than somebody on the right-hand side. Okay. All right. If I, I, if see, I had to I put him see. in the team. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Um, here is a question from Connor Whelan at Connor Whelan IRE. Uh, mm. Connor Whelan R. That's his. He's, yeah, he's, that's his anger after his name, you see. But he wants you to discuss the set piece delivery last night. The only time the ball cleared the first man, Fabianski caught it. Were you disappointed with the. Uh, the corners, the free kicks, because they have been better in recent times. They have. It, it was a bit. It was a bit disappointing, wasn't it? I mean, those those tricky corner run-ups that we've talked about at the Emirates Stadium before. All those those slopes mm. hindering our players. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just weird, isn't it? We're just sort of we're quite inconsistent with it. Even when you think we've solved it, and we have a game where it looks a little bit better, it's almost like it's cumulative within a match. So if the first one is poor it sort of builds from there you know it, it kind of disintegrates as the game wears on mm. and by the end I sort of felt like <laughs> you know why are we bothering at times yeah um, it's a curious thing all these incredibly technically gifted players struggling to take a set piece and it is odd because there are times when we it feels like we're over that hump but last night was was not one of those occasions yeah yeah what, do you put it down to anything specific or I don't know. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because um, you're trying to work it out from a technical point of view. Like, why can't they do it? Um, and then they just don't do it. Maybe they don't want to. Could be it. There's got some but sort for of weird... what? For what reason? I don't like, know. Like, what's the point Prejudice. they're trying to make? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's Maybe... the wider issue here, man? I don't know. They They just... Maybe contrary to popular opinion, Arsene Wenger makes them practice corners all the time to the point that they hate corners so much that when they get them in a game, they're like, we'll show the manager. This will teach him for all those drills. Let's just hit it at the first defender. Maybe this is part of a behind-the-scenes issue where they're they're campaigning for more lime pudding in the canteen. And they yeah. say, well, if you don't get us more lime pudding, 
we're going to take terrible corners. Well, I heard that Steve Bold went to the manager and said, I think we should get more live pu- lime pudding. But the manager just completely ignored him. <sighs> He's a puddingist. Well, that's it. Because apparently Borough Primarach doesn't like limes. What's his What's his citrus favourite? Uh, he's more of like a sort of... To be honest, he's more of a rhubarb man. Wow. You never yeah. would have thought that with him. No, I know. No. And as you know, he's got the, the ear of arson, so they just keep dishing out rhubarb-based puddings at Colney. For the goodness players sake. are furious. Absolutely. I mean, look, you need to mix it up a bit. A bit of passion fruit in there, some yeah. mango. But rhubarb, nobody ever won a title with rhubarb puddings. Well, that's it. That's it. That was one of the first things, apparently, that Mourinho did when he came in at Chelsea, was he took all the rhubarb off the menu. Because they, like most professional footballers, were having rhubarb for every course of every meal. But he was quite an innovator, so he's like, I I don't want to see it. If I see anyone just carrying rhubarb at the Chelsea dressing dressing room, dressing round, dressing round, training round, they're out. Yeah, they're out. I, I heard that he threatened to bring back Ashley Cole to shoot them if they had rhubarb. Juan Mata loved rhubarb. That was the thing, like, and everyone's like, why isn't he playing Mata? But if you, whenever you looked at the subs bench and Mata was sat there, he was always just nibbling on a bit of rhubarb. Yeah. Just like a little mouse, just holding it. So, and that apparently was one of the major issues in their relationship as well. Well, there you go. Well, that explains the corner thing. I think that does, yeah. Yeah, so Conor Whelan's ire will be, will be sated. Assuaged for now. Mm. All um, right. Another question. This yeah. one's interesting because we've had this question before about six months ago. We answered it emphatically, but we might have cause for reconsideration. Okay. It's from Christos Christophero. Just to take a moment for that name because it's, it's pretty swell. Uh, he says, is there any chance Carl Jenkinson still has an Arsenal future? Surely it's over for him. Um, interesting comments, weren't they, from Arsene Wenger? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand... The comments that he made about Jenkinson and Theo Walcott were pretty much the only thing, you know, he can say in public. Because the minute you say, well, there's no room for him or I'm willing to let a player go, uh, then, you know, you you, uh, you weaken your hand in the transfer market. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, you can see some sense to Jenkinson perhaps spending another year out on loan. That he's done well at West Ham and... Uh, you know, he seems to have developed a bit as a player. And maybe with Bellerin there, with Debushi not getting any younger, obviously, another year on loan, and then you can make a, a final decision. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's a there's a there's a chink of light there for him because he's talked about Chambers becoming a centre half. So that's one of the right back options out of the way. Um so maybe. I'd be surprised. But just just maybe. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I thought it was over for him. I thought it was a done deal. The the emergence of Bellerin looked to have closed the door. But yeah, having having seen those uh, comments from Arsene Wenger, I mean, if they can get him, if they can convince the player to spend another season out on loan, which I don't think will be easy. Players don't really like being on loan, do they? They want the security of a permanent move and yeah. a, a sort of forward plan for their career. But if they can talk him into that, it would be an unusually long-term piece of thinking from a football club and a player to go and spend two years away, develop, and then come back to challenge for a first-team place. You don't see that... For a player of Jenkinson's age, you don't see that all too often. Yeah, normally when a player is going out on loan, uh, you know, at Jenkinson's age, having, I wouldn't say established himself in the first team, but having become a part of the first-team squad, to then go out on loan normally suggests that the manager has made up his mind. But he's only 23 now. Mm. So, you know, it's not like he's, you know, he'll be 24 maybe when when he comes back from another loan. 25 you know it's not it's not impossible you know when you think you buy Bakary Sanya what 26 whatever he was 25 so yeah not impossible but still unlikely I think yeah it's interesting though for Debussy isn't it I mean he's almost in danger of kind of being sort of squeezed out of his Arsenal career before it's ever happened Mm. he started really well been incredibly unfortunate with injuries and obviously Bellerin's sort of snatched his place and it's difficult you know we we talked about when Debussy came back into the contention how we thought Wenger would go with him but I feel like I don't know after that slightly 
patchy performance against Reading and another injury setback. I feel like Bellerin's really cemented that that spot for yeah. now. Anyway, what would you do in the in the final few games? You know, would you play? Would you keep faith with Bellerin, even though we saw last night there was an example of his inexperience? Um, with Montero, maybe Debussy wouldn't have stopped that cross either. But you know, you, you uh, the, when you're a manager, I guess your your tendency is to to go for experience. Um, Debussy played in the semi final, for example. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily a decision that worked out particularly well. And that's you know not not to be critical of Debussy. He's uh, just playing his first game for for three months or whatever it was. He ended up doing 120 minutes and looked pretty pretty knackered so that's another uh, decision the manager has to make ahead of Wembley yeah I, I think my inclination would be to stick with Bellerin I, I know that seems a bit risky potentially but he's been on a roll and I think his development's been one of the real highlights of the season maybe it's a bit too much too soon but yeah. I don't know yeah that would be my hunch what about you um, yeah I mean uh, it would depend if uh, Debushi can come back and play one of the final games, maybe. He'd need some time under his belt, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he would need to play against Sunderland and West Brom, probably. And then two games in a week is, is that asking too much of him. He's got to play one of those final two games this season to be realistically considered for the cup final. I think it would be too much of a risk and also unfair to um, to to just throw him back in for the final. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I agree. Mm. Your question. Oh, it's my turn, is it? I believe so. All right. Um, okay. Right. Here we go. All right. Here's one from Nick Angelo, at Nick Angelo. And he said, if Wenger and Mourinho swapped teams, <laughs> who would win the title? <sighs> That's a good question, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you know the good questions because... I never really know how to answer them. <laughs> uh, that's that's the main criteria. I let's have a think. What would he have to play with at Arsenal? He'd have a pretty good team at his disposal, as would as would Arson. That is really hard to say because, in some respects, the teams currently are kind of built in their managers' images. Yeah. Yeah. So if you swap those around. There'd be a bit of dysfunction there, but in some ways they'd also kind of even out some of those managers' flaws. Like, if you give Arsene Wenger the Chelsea back four, much like when he inherited the initial back four at Arsenal, he's got a fantastic defensive base to work from. If you give Jose Mourinho the Arsenal squad, I suspect this football might be a bit more attractive. Not that Chelsea haven't got good players but just that, you know, a team with Sadi Kazola and Meza Urza is, is bound to be entertaining. Yeah. Um, who would actually come out on top? Oh. I'm going to actually say that I think it would be Arsene Wenger with the Chelsea squad. I think you'd get that kind of 97-98, 2001-2002 effect of him coming into a setup with a, a fairly established defensive base. And then being able to add unsurpassed attacking flair on top of that. And I think that with working with guys like Cesc Fabregas, Eden Hazard, Oscar, Willian, I think he could produce a really strong attacking team to complement that defensive base. And I, I think mm. I think that would probably be enough. What do you think? Yeah, I think that would be I think that would be the winner, I have to say. Um, you know, the experience that's in the Chelsea squad, uh, as unseemly as it all is, you know, they have got this experience, a very solid back four and goalkeeper. And there is a huge amount of, you know, you've got that defensive midfielder there with Matic. And then ahead of that, you know, you're looking at Fabregas, Hazard, Diego Costa. Mm. You know, I think there there would be enough attacking um, options in the Chelsea squad to keep Arsene Wenger happy. You know, uh, they they have played in a very functional way at times, a fairly unexciting way, as we know. But like you say, that's more down to the to the manager, to Mourinho, than it is to the type of player that they've got. So yeah, I mean, I think Arsene Wenger would win the title with the uh, with the Chelsea squad. Yeah, 
Although it's sort of interesting because it in part is that down to Mourinho. Do you know what I mean? Would it be inheriting Mourinho's defensive work? So is it is it truly an Arsenal mega victory in itself? Well, you know I, mean, I mean, you know, George Graham won the first two titles for Arsenal Wenger. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we're just being asked to uh, to judge it uh, on on a very superficial level, obviously, because it's a it's a hypothetical question. So, is there, is there some is there some suggestion this is going to happen next season? That would be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't imagine. I can't. What imagine. does Nick Angelo know? That's my question. He looks like a guy who knows things. Really? Yeah, he's staring away into the distance there. The future, you mean? Well, he's... I don't know. He's turned to... I'm just looking at his avatar. He's turned to the right. So if you were looking into the future, would you turn to the left or to the right? Like, which is your past? I think left... Well, I would say left because I come from a culture where we read from left to right. So I, I, I associate the right with forward motion and forward thinking. Yeah, that's quite a sensible answer. It's quite a silly question. Yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would be inclined also to look to the left as the past and to the right as to the to to the future. Sure. If I was being that kind of weirdly, you know, uh, symbolic about things. So Nick is he's looking to the right. So I think he's looking to the future, and I think perhaps he could have come back from a time where he knows what's going to happen. So he's from the future. I, I'm saying that he is from the future. His real name could actually be John Connor. Right. And That's Nick, a good point. if this is the case, if your name is actually John Connor, please be aware that there's a there's a kind of robot dude who's going to try and find you and kill the shit out of you. Mm. So you know, maybe we've just fucked Nick here. Take care, Nick. If, all that, the, is your, all if the that is your real name, all the best. Um, question. Yes. Yes. That's yes. the format. I'm finally I'm getting it slowly, do you know what I mean? What it's only what been a year and a half, yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, I think, oh, I think I think I've got the vibe of it now. Okay, right, I'm gonna do this because two people have asked it. So Mitesh Katri has asked it. And I've also had three emails from Peter Ellingbow about it. But I'll read Mitesh's question. He says, yesterday looked like the kind of game Podolsky would have scored in with his Android super shot. Android he, super shot? Yeah. Uh, should he return? And Peter's emails are uh, of a similar theme, basically suggesting that Theo Walcott isn't necessarily a game-changing substitute, whereas Podolsky, because of his ability to produce something out of nothing, could have been. Any thoughts on that at all? Well, I, you know, I'm not wholly convinced by this ability to produce something out of nothing argument. Um, if you were to say to me, could Podolski have scored from the position Walcott was in yesterday? Certainly. Would he have been in that position? I'm not necessarily sure. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's probably been, during his Inter Milan sojourn, quite a lot of nothing out of which Podolski has produced nothing, given that <laughs> he's all, you know, he scored just one goal in, in his time there. So. You know, I think, yeah, you can look at it and say, well, if he'd had that chance, then he would have buried it. I think he probably would have hit the ball a lot harder, would have had more chance of going in. But you can't say that he would necessarily have been in, in that position in the first place. I think his best goals have come from from outside the area. Um, so he wouldn't really have been there. You know, I, I, I get the... Uh, I get the the concern or the doubt over Walcott because I would share those in the sense that, you know, he had a great chance at Hull to come on and score a goal. He fluffed it. He had a great chance last night, didn't make the most of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe there is the need for somebody to be a bit more clinical uh, around the box, but I'm not sure that Podolsky is the guy. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really not sure that he's... There's much more to him than just being able to cunt the ball, the ball really, really hard. And, you know, if that's all it was, then he would be the best player in the world, right? Yeah. That'd be quite a strange sport, though. But I um, what I do agree with is it'd be nice to have someone available within the squad with that kind of finishing prowess, mm -hmm. um, only with a, a few more attributes. So, uh, you know, Arsenal has talked about the need for 10 to 15 more goals in the squad or maybe a player to step up and provide that but it might be something he has to address come the summer yeah um, 
Any more questions from you? Do I have? Yes, I do. I've got one more question. Uh, This comes from Matt Horner. Mm -hmm. And he says, what the fuck, man? (sighs) Tell me about it. Yeah. I've got one. Okay. Scott Abraham. He says, would you rather... This is a return to kind of an Ask Us classic sort of question. Right. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses... Picture that. Yeah. Or one horse-sized duck. We, uh, we've had this question. This is like, Really? This is, yeah, we've done that question. It's an internet classic. <laughs> Honestly, we have. There might have been a variation where it's like 100 duck-sized otters or one horse-sized dinosaur or something and like the that. And ar- is the answer always that you'd rather fight the one thing? Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I guess it depends on what your skills are. Like, if you're one of those people that can fight a load of things at the one time, then... What does this mean, that I'm now just reading out questions that we've already done? Uh, your um, history's repeating itself. I think, that's, I think that's what that is. Help us, Nick Angelo. We're just going <laughs> round and round in time. Just answering questions again and again, waiting for the Terminator to kill us. Come on, Nick from the future. You should be able to sort this out. Okay, here's one. Here's one. All right. This one comes from Robin Kent. At Robin Kent SF. And he wants to know, should players wear paper shirts? Refs could then spot shirt tugs in the box. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Should they wear paper shirts? Yeah, paper shirts. Because, you know, if if you, uh, if the minute a guy like pulls your shirt, it's ripped. But it would rip constantly. It would rip if you ran fast enough. Okay, well, maybe not quite paper, like, but... Yeah, just something that would be more obvious. Maybe. I feel like... I feel like... Um, I think he's onto something. Do you? Yeah. But isn't it the case that there's always a, a little bit of shirt pulling and that and that doesn't necessarily constitute a foul? Yeah. Yeah. And wouldn't there just be a lot of men running around half naked all the time? And the problem with that would be what? I know, I'm not saying it is a problem. I'm just saying that it might become impractical. Certainly, certainly. It would certainly make it cheaper for the fans to get a replica. Maybe you could wear layers. So, you you know, when your first layer is ripped, you just, like, shrug what, it like off. like, pass the parcel? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the, you, you get a goal when you get to them topless. Yeah. I mean, what? so you think this is a good idea, saying we should I'm not saying this. it's a good idea. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm saying <laughs> it's an idea. Would they shorts be paper as well? Uh, no. No. Right, so you just hold them by the shorts then? Well, they wouldn't wear shorts. They would wear uh, mini skirts like Bucks Fizz in the Eurovision Song Contest. That just rip off. Yeah, they just rip off like... Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a very good idea, actually. Mm. I mean, could, could we do it in such a way... Because you look at these Puma shirts, and mm. they are essentially skin tight now. So in order to stop shirt pulling, could we not do those, like, just paint the players? Like body all art the art. Yeah, thing. body art. And all the players are painted red, the Arsenal players. Put some white sleeves on them. And all the opposition players are painted in their colour. And that way you can't, the only way you can get hold of somebody is, like, reef them by the nipple. And that would, be, that would be very obvious. Do you not think that would lead to a significant rise in nipular injuries? Uh, possibly, but maybe am, that's maybe that's something we're just going to have to contend with. I can imagine Arsenal to being bring struck, the game into the future. Struck down with all these nipple niggles. Has Shad Forsyth ever encountered anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, would I that th- would that then become a factor in whether you sign a player? Like, how grabbable are his nipples? Does he have size. slightly inverted nipples, which would be very difficult to to get hold of, or does he have like those kind of bullety ones? You know, sticky out ones that like teats almost. Mm. Like, no, we can't sign him. He's just, his nipples are too long. It would be easy for defenders to get hold of them. I think that would become a problem, yeah. Mm. It would be part of the stringent medical, wouldn't it? Yeah. Nipple measurement. Yeah. It would affect your transfer fee and everything. Yeah. That would be discriminatory as well because there's not much you can do about about your nipples. But it could lead to a rise in nipple cosmetic surgery 
That that does exist, I believe. Really? I haven't looked into it, <laughs> but I think that there was a... Um, you know the wrestler The Rock? I the do, wrestler yeah. wrestler and film star. I think he had kind of some sort of nipple surgery because the... Some sort of... Uh, this is all alleged, just because obviously we'll be sued to death. But, like, I think he, his use of certain muscle growth products may have led his nipples to become puffy. Ah, I have heard of this before, and I actually know somebody who uh, was a bit of a, a, a bodybuilder, weightlifter kind of a guy, mm. and literally had um, breast reduction surgery Yeah, because of I, that. I think it's a hormonal thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that would be a worry. Yeah. The Rock would, like, The Rock could be a footballer now, but at a certain point he could not have been. And that is discriminatory. Yeah. So essentially what we're saying is the paper shirt's a bad idea, painted players, a fantastic idea, one for the future. Not great for cold days, particularly if the, the nipples are... What a day that will be when Arsene Wenger lifts the Premier League as manager of a, a Chelsea team covered entirely in body paint. Yeah, with with just weeping, bleeding nipples everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something to look forward to. Indeed. This is the future that Nick Angelo has brought to us. Thanks, so, Nick. Thanks, Nick. You, you've, you've been a pal. Um, all right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. Um, we've got Manchester United at the weekend. Mm. Gulp? Are we a little yeah, bit worried? Yeah, gulp. I think it was gulp even before the Swansea game, really. Mm. Um, at least we're not going there with sort of... Uh, you know, T-shirts printed saying uh, 12, <laughs> just done it, or whatever it would be. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, you know, well, we'll see thankful for small mercies right there. Exactly, yeah. All right, yeah. okay, well, we'll discuss that game on the Arsecast on Friday. The Arsecast Extra will be back on Monday, as usual. It really kind of fucks up my week when we've got to do this on a Tuesday. I don't quite know what happens. Like I'm my, confused. My equilibrium is all over the place. Mm. Uh, so uh, thank you for listening as always we'll talk to you on the next one Uh, so cheers bye 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 bye